Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're, we're launching into a new series today that we've titled Altars, and so Zach and I have been working on this. And it's about the altars that, that uh, God has, well, not only just understanding altars that were built and why they were built, but the altars God has for us in our new covenant life with him and how that can impact us and the importance of that as we serve him. And especially as we serve him and we fulfill or we allow him to fulfill the promise of ministering to us and through us for generations. Amen. So, Father, we, just, we honor you and we worship you. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for your lasting presence, Lord, for your covenant with us that you sealed in blood and that is not trivial, God. You just didn't do it on a whim. You did it all on purpose and with great purpose, God. You have designed and fashioned each one of us to be a part of your family and to do good works that you prepared in advance for us to do. So today we lift our hearts to you, and God, we glorify your name. We lift you high. We lift you high, Jesus. Your name is above every name. You are the solution to every problem. God, you are Savior, friend, King, warrior. God, we honor you today. God, will you just let let your Holy Spirit do an amazing work in our hearts Reveal the truth you want us to know today. And God, I'm just submitted to you. Somehow use me today to be effective for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm not sad. My eyes are just watering today for some reason. I'm getting old, apparently. I don't know. Is that is this weird? I don't know. So sometimes my eyes water when I'm not sad. They hardly water when I am sad. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Maybe I'm sad and they're repressed tears. They're just trying to get out. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. Just need a good cry, I guess. Okay. Exodus 20, 24. Exodus 20, 24. Bam, look at us go. This is in the NIV version. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle, and your chinchillas. <laughs> Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. It's such, such a great experience. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Okay, we're going to use this. I could have subtracted that part, but it's in the Bible. Okay. And that's why you think about this. There's no shame when we come to him. Okay, so the reason this is here is that if you walked up high on an altar, then people could look up. They wore like dresses, basically, even the dudes. And so what God is saying is that when you come to my altar to make a sacrifice, you come, you, and now the new covenant belief and understanding is that we come in boldness. And when we come to him, there is no shame. When we come to him, God never shames us. And there's no exposure of our sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we come to him, we come to him in boldness, knowing that we're not going to be put down for the wrong things that we've done. We're accepted. Isn't that beautiful? 
Uh, that was my crazy eye. I was actually looking somewhere over here, okay? Um, but I want you to see this, is that one of the things, there's, there's multiple purposes for altars and why God had them. And there were burnt offerings or, or offerings where they would make a sacrifice. And then there were actually altars where it was for remembrance. So some are for sacrifice and some altars were for remembrance, to remember the thing that God had done. But the truth is, is wherever those altars were made, where they were made for God, especially when he said he told them how to make them, specifically he would tell them how to make them, and, and for a specific purpose and where they would put them. But wherever he causes his name to be honored, and we honor him by making an altar, he pours out blessing. It's kind of amazing to think about where God's name is lifted up. He says what? He draws all men unto him. Like when God is lifted up, favor and blessing begins to pour out on his people. And we're going to talk about this too, about like what, why do we think the stones were uncut? And um, we're going to do that in a future message. But um, I want us to think about this, is that when we praise him, it's like making an altar to him. In New Covenant, so there are no, just so you know, there's no... New covenant altars. There was one that finished the old covenant, and that's when Jesus made the earth his altar, and he died on the cross for us. But post that, there really are no altars like the ones in the Old Testament. So, uh, but the first altar that we see built in the old covenant was really from Noah when he gets off of the ark, and he builds this altar. The Lord has him build this altar. Then we see Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchs built altars, in fact, multiple altars. Even like the wells that Jacob dug, he dug them for the Lord. They became like an altar where people remembered, oh, this is what God did. And even we see the, when Jesus preaches to the woman at the, uh, at the well, um, this is a well that Jacob had dug. And she starts referring to, hey, are you greater than Jacob? And he's all like, dude, I made Jacob. I'm way better than <laughs> But it's cool that you remember how good I was through this thing that I told Jacob to do. And it provided life for you. And so one of the things that, that is so important is that in our life, when we worship him and we praise him, when we gather together, when we encounter his presence, it's a moment where we're making, uh, we're making an altar to the Lord from our heart. And from our lips, from our heart and our lips come this new covenant kind of altar, a place of remembrance for the things that God has done. But this is the thing that I want you and I to really get, is that altars are to preserve the name of the Lord and his blessing pouring out on his people for generations. The altars of remembrance are for generations to remember the goodness of God and the thing that God did in your life, in your family, and those promises that are for you and for generations to come. So God makes a promise that when you serve him, that he's going to bless your generations. This is a promise. And this is the thing you can hang on to. And some of you are like, my kids are wayward or whatever's happening. You need to hang on to this promise of generations. And like Zach was saying, turn your hearts to your children and begin to love them and just pray for them, even when they're doing dumb stuff and hurting you and, 
and, and being, you know, knuckleheads. God makes a promise to his kids, and he keeps that promise. And what, what, there's, some, there's some things that I think we need to grab onto, and I want us to just look in here at the book of Joshua, chapter 3. Okay, in Joshua, this is, Moses passes away. They, well, let's just back up just a little bit more. Like, uh, uh, Israel is in Egypt and basically explodes in Egypt and grows like crazy. And then Pharaoh and all of them, they enslave the Israelites and then God delivers them and he does it miraculously and he takes them out and he leads them through the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts and then Pharaoh's army gets swallowed up in the sea and they sing this big, huge song, which was like an altar to the Lord. They sing this big, huge song to remember, and they would sing it all the time to remember what God had done when they crossed the Red Sea and how he delivered them from Egypt. And then Moses, and they wander in the desert, and they just continue to uh, travel on. But after, after that, the next generation comes about that God is going to allow into the promised land. This is super fast-forward version. Um, and this is where we find Joshua and all of his people. An angel comes to Joshua and says to him, hey, I am going to use you and you are going to prosper and you are going to dominate in this new promised land. But I need you to obey me. And so Joshua falls on his face and he says, look, I am going to do this thing. And the angel's telling him, be strong and courageous. You're going to do some wild stuff for me. So one of the first things he tells him to do is he tells him to go to the edge of the Jordan and this is what happens. <clears throat> so verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water was flowing down to the sea of, uh, uh, right? <laughs> Areba? <laughs> what is that word? I don't know what it is. Areba? Uh, no, no game. All right. <clears throat> was completely cut off. So the people crossed over uh, opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all the Israelites passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So let's imagine this. We have the Ark of the Covenant and God sends the Ark of the Covenant with the priests. The presence of God goes before all the people into the trouble into the flooded waters. Crossing rivers is extremely dangerous, by the way. The, the, when, when early pioneers would try to cross rivers, or in these times, lots of people would die. In fact, rivers were great barriers to protect, you know, nations. And water barriers were these huge, especially rivers, because they were so dangerous, so difficult to cross. And it would take so long to get an army across, it's really easy to defend. Unless the presence of God shows up and stops all the water. I just can't even imagine what it'd be like if you were at this town of whatever it's called, of Adam. All right, that one's easy to say. Okay, <clears throat> if you're there, and then all of a sudden you're like fishing, you know, and then the water just starts to stand up. How in the heck is that happening? You're like just grabbing fish out of 
the wall of water? Yeah? Fishing in? Spearing them? I don't know how you... All kinds of options when the water is standing up as a big wall, right? But when we, when we look... I mean, we used to imagine what had happened. It's like, boom, this huge, aggressive obstruction was instantly stopped and piled up. And everybody's like, okay, God's doing it again. Because this is the second time. In fact, a lot of these people that, are, that were here crossing weren't even alive. They were kids or hadn't been born yet, but they had heard all the stories that their parents said about the crossing of the Red Sea, and they heard the songs. They heard the song of Altar saying how great God was and how he swallowed up Pharaoh's army in the sea and how amazing he was. And they're like, wow, the God of our fathers and mothers is showing up for us. He's doing the same thing. And they knew there were giants in the land that they had to go take. So this is a really good thing. They didn't go across with their warriors. They didn't send all their big, strong people. They didn't build a bridge. They let the presence of God go before them. And the second they put their toes in the water, boom, it all stops. And they just go in there. And I mean, they just stand in the middle of this giant river. That took courage, by the way. So you imagine you're a priest and you're holding a box. And you're just standing in the middle. And there's a huge humongous thing of water. If God decided to let that go, they'd be smoked, right? They'd all get washed away and be dead. It was a trust thing. When God's asking us to step into the waters, it's a trust thing. And he doesn't want your power, your strength to go first. He wants his power and his presence to go first. It's the way it works. And it's a trust thing. And it's not easy. But that's where God sets up obstacles for us, impossible obstacles for us, with tasks that he, that he assigns to us. And then he says, look, I want you to go do this. And the way you're going to do it is first, it's, it's you're going to follow me. You're going to let me do it. And I'm going to do it at the last second, at the last minute. I'm not stopping the water before you put your feet in it. Are you with me? Okay, the God of, 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 of the generations who's faithful doesn't stop the obstacle up until you put your feet in it. It's part of the partnership. It's part of the partnership of the miracle. And if you didn't understand the difficulty and the obstacle, you would never understand the miracle. And that's why you have to put your feet in the obstacle. So you can understand it. And God requires this. It's everywhere. I don't even know a place of an example in the Bible where it wasn't like this. Where it's like God trims the army down to nothing. God backs them up into a corner. And then they're starving and then he hits a rock and water comes out. I mean you're like, this is how our God works. And it helps when you've heard the stories of the generations before of how God has moved in the life of your fathers and fathers' fathers, right? You're like, okay. I mean, all those priests are probably like, oh, I really hope that God shows up and I don't get swept away in the flooded river. I mean, it's a flooded river. That took courage. 
So they go out and they stand in the middle and they're waiting. And then everybody starts to cross. So when the whole nation had finished crossing, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests were standing, and carry them over with you and put them down in the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites from each of the tribes, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It's such a cool thing that happened. It's just so amazing. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of Israel as the Lord had told Joshua and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they're there to this day. That's probably true actually probably true that those are still there like to, uh, to this day right now he took 12 stones okay so they the 12 guys one from each tribe goes in and picks up a stone puts it on their shoulder if one dude was carrying a stone like this i think they would all made fun of him make him get a bigger one right so he probably like, put a big one right big stones and pull all those suckers out and they make a big pile on the outside and then joshua the Lord didn't tell him to do this, but it was in his heart to do it. I think he thought, I mean, just imagine this. The whole time they're doing this, 40,000 people cross this river. I think it says it was 40,000, right? Piles and piles of people across this river. And they also get across, however long that took, and the water's just piling up. Just more. That water's still flowing, Right? So it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and backing up more and more and more, creating this massive miracle that everybody along the riverbanks is seeing. And they get across and they're just like, whoa, 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 let's do some cool stuff right now. This is awesome. Do not get out of the middle of the river. We're going to just enjoy this moment, right? And so they go in and they get all those stones. They bring them out. And then Joshua goes, no, no, don't go anywhere. I want to do something else. <laughs> they're like, dude, how long is this miracle going to last? So he goes back in, and maybe he took 12 stones and he built them all the way around where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's how I want to imagine he did it. He just made a circle right around where the power of God had showed up. He made an altar where the miracle literally took place. He wanted to know, oh, there's 12 stones in there right where they stood right where God did this huge miracle. We're always going to remember it on the bank. But I think Joshua himself wanted to remember, oh, yeah, that's where it happened. Right there. This is where we crossed, but right there is where the miracle literally took place. 
It's so awesome. God wants to do miracles. He wants to do them in our lives. He wants to do them in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your disasters, in the midst of, of the hardships, in the midst of wherever we're at right now in, in our nation, in our world, which feels like absolute chaos, right? God is looking to his kids to look to him and to remember what he has done for generations, what he has always been faithful doing. When there are squatters in your land, like there were all the uh, Philistines and Amalekites and all the ites were all over in the land of, that belonged to the Lord. And he says, listen, I'm sending you I'm put, to put your feet on the land that belongs to me and my kids. This is what God's telling his kids. He's saying the same thing to us today. There is land that belongs to you and I. And our job is to put our feet on that land. It matters who has their feet on the land. If you and I don't put our feet on the land as children, as carriers of the Ark of the Covenant, we carry the Ark of the Covenant in us now. We're a priest. And we're carrying that. And we have the power to walk into water and cause it to stop. And God is asking us. He is pleading with us, please, there is miracle after miracle out there that I want to do. And I need you to ask. I need you to listen and ask. See, listen, God, God is not desiring his kids to be kids who ask and don't do. Because asking or hearing like is doing in his mind. If I'm going to ask God for something, then I need to be ready to do the thing that he's requiring of me to see it executed. Or I really should just stop asking. I won't have altars in my life to share with my children, to show them, look, this is where God did this flipping miracle in my life. This is where I changed. This is where it happened, right here. I won't see those things if, when I, if I don't ask and I'm willing to put my feet in the water. But God wants us to ask. And when we ask, there's this intention in our heart that, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Because I believe that in my obedience, you're going to do a miracle. And when that miracle happens, guys, the thing God is wanting from us is for us to begin to talk about that miracle, to make an altar for that miracle, to begin to testify to bring testimony to the goodness and the works of God because that testimony of what he did there in the Jordan gives us faith that he could split another sea of water for us in our circumstance. And this just make it really real for all of us. Like when God heals your marriage, 
that you thought was on the brink and was not going to make it. And you're like, it was never going to make it. And then you begged God and then you were willing to do the thing he said to do and you put your feet in the water and God heals your marriage and brings restoration to it. And now you have a beautiful, life-giving marriage and your kids are together and you're able to take your kids and say, listen, there was a time when we were about to split up and I asked God for a miracle and this is what he did. And here's the group of stones. Here's the circle where it happened. That's exactly where it happened. And here's a pile over here. And I'm telling you, like, when we got through it, man, God split the sea, and we have a miracle, and now we have a marriage, and you guys have grandparents because of what God did in our life. He's faithful to me. He'll be faithful to you because he's a God of faithfulness to generations. He wants you to start making an altar with your lips and with your heart that declare his goodness. Psalms 26.6. We'll skip ahead. Psalms 26.6. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming out loud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I wash my hands of innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming out loud your praises and telling your wonderful deeds. Uh, as, as a Christian, you don't have a private relationship with Jesus. You have an altar relationship with Jesus. You don't have a private relationship with Jesus. You have an altar relationship. You have a pile of stones for people to look at. Don't walk away and say, Pastor said, you're a, you can be a stoner. I did not say that. I said, you have a pile of stones that make an altar of the good things God has done in your life. That it, Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. You're a light that can't be hidden. You're not made to be hidden. You're made to be an altar. And you're like, I don't like the way this feels. I don't want people looking at me because I have sin. And when I experience sin, I, I feel shame about that sin. I don't feel okay that I didn't measure up. And so I want to hide. And God says, there is no condemnation for you when you don't measure up. It's all about in your weakness where you didn't measure up, I'm strong. Look at what I did for you. I saved you in the middle of that. All of us have this exact same testimony that when we were weak, when we didn't measure up, when we couldn't make it work, when we were just lowly and we had sin just engulfing our life, Jesus loved each one of us so much that he died for us and he came to us and rescued us and he loved us extravagantly. Each one of us have that exact testimony, no matter how it was different for all of us from there. We all experience that same thing when we come to Jesus. And all of us have that same measure of like, wow, God, I was nothing and you loved me anyway. I was a mess and you loved me anyway. I was a sinner and you loved me anyway. You loved me so much before I even sinned, you died for me. That's how much you love me. And how much you want me to be a part of your family. And I get to build an altar to the Lord and to everybody else to be a beacon, to be a light for them to know this is not only what God did, God did this in my life, but this is exactly where it happened. It matters, guys. It matters. 
You don't have a private relationship with Jesus. You have a public relationship with Jesus. And it's a relationship with him that I'm telling you that, that, that we are designed to testify. Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians says that, that actually we are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. As if God himself was making his appeal to man through us. He is. He's making his appeal to everybody in the world through your life transformed. Through the altars that are happening that you put up in your life. That declare how good he really is. So as I go about your altar, this is the thing I want you to think about. Oh, I've got this thing that happened in my life. I mean, I just think about when I got saved. In fact, next week I am going to be preaching in the Nazarene church in Nikiski. So it's pretty cool, right? I got saved 28 years ago. 29, 28 years ago, a little more, almost 29 years ago. And I got saved, then I started going to this little country Nazarene church in Nikiski, Alaska. And I've told a lot of you my testimony, how I got saved. I was never in church and never read, read a Bible and never, never, you know, worshipped or any of that stuff. Jesus was just my favorite cuss word. And I invited some people out, and they all witnessed to me. And I ended up marrying one of them, right? And I heard God speak to me, said, I'm real. And this is what you've been looking for. When they told me about Jesus, he said, I'm real. And this is exactly what you've been looking for. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that'll make you a believer. I made a believer out of me. I know exactly where I was sitting. I was sitting on, actually, Joni's parents. We were at their house. And I was sitting right on the counter on the end, right over the dishwasher. And I was sitting there, and I was looking outside. And there were snowflakes falling like silver dollar bills. Dollar Coins. Silver dollars. <laughs> Silver dollar bills. Those would be heavier. Okay. Silver dollars. Something about that didn't make sense. Okay. And, and I remember how I felt. The presence of God for the first time in my life changed everything. From darkness and loneliness and lost to belonging and being a part of and loved and filled. And I started going to this little country church in Nikiski. And then they gave me my first Bible. My very first Bible. They all, the, the youth group there collected money to give me a Bible. I remember exactly where I was sitting when they handed me my very first Bible. And I remember when I started reading the book of Matthew. For the, the very first thing I ever read in the whole Bible is the book of Matthew. I'm going back to preach in that church this weekend, and I'm going to st the first time I ever stood in front of any group of people was on that platform to share, talk about Jesus, to declare that Jesus was my Lord and in my life. It's so cool. Those testimonies, our kids hearing about those testimonies, people hearing about those testimonies, people knowing what changed inside of us and where it changed inside of us and how God did it. Those altars are designed. When we think about those memories, this Psalms passage is saying, I'm looking at that altar and I'm like walking around and I'm checking it out. I'm thinking this was so cool. And I, man, remember when we crossed the river? I'm thinking when I, remember when God, you saved me? Remember exactly where it was at? When you healed me, when I laid hands on that girl's leg that had a complete detached 
uh, ACL in that same little Nazarene church. They don't really believe in healing. But I laid hands on this girl, and she got her ACL 100% retached, sitting right there in one of those Nazarene pews. And I remember that, but I'm not just thinking that. When I go looking around this altar and I'm remembering it, this passage says, I'm proclaiming out loud your praises and telling all your wonderful deeds. God, you're so good. Lord, you rocked that little Nazarene girl's world. She had no idea that you could still heal, and now she can't deny it. Her dad can't deny it. No one around her can deny it. You're a healer. And I'm thinking, I didn't even feel anything when I prayed for her. I walked away going like, huh? That's probably not going to happen. But I had faith at the time. I'm like, Jesus, do it. And then I'm like, well, I'm expecting that to probably not happen because it never had happened before. He's faithfully praying. He calls me on the phone. He's like, Josh, you're not going to believe it. Dude, her knee is healed. I'm like, no way. You're messing with me. He goes, no, we just got an MRI. Like, I mean, they got an MRI, totally detached. They had two beforehand, and they got another one afterwards, and she was totally healed. She started playing basketball right away. She played a whole season of basketball her senior year. It was amazing. Her dad was the coach, and she was going to miss her whole senior year with her daddy, and she had grew up playing basketball, around basketball her whole life, and it was a big deal, and, and she was going to miss that, and God cared about that. He just cared about that, that they would have that moment together, and that was sweet to me, but it built my faith. I'm like, hey, that can happen. I'm building an altar, and I'm going to start telling you, listen, even though you don't feel it, and you might walk away thinking, that didn't happen. It can still happen. He says, I just eat faith like a mustard seed. I'm telling you, I gave him a mustard seed. And he did it. That passage is true. But you don't have a private relationship with Jesus. You have an altered relationship. It's an altered relationship. It's shifted and changed, but it's an altar that is designed to be a place where his name is honored. And when his name is honored, what did it say? He comes and he blesses you. Man, his favor and blessing comes when we honor him in the things he has done. Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Today we make an altar with our heart and our lips about the good things that he has done, how God has overcome, how Jesus, the blood with the blood of the Lamb, with Jesus' blood himself, how he has overcome all of the troubles, the hardships, the difficulties in our life, guys. And we begin to declare those public testimony about the things that he's done. It makes the devil furious because when you spread the name of Jesus, when he is high and lifted up, he draws all men unto him. He doesn't like it. But God has infused us with power through salvation to expand the kingdom. For his sake, we are his ambassadors. We're proclaiming his goodness in our life. It's time to begin speaking out. And he says, it says here, they weren't so afraid as to shrink back from death. 
The reality is, is the devil is furious and he hates you and he hates when you speak the name of Jesus. It's why Jesus' name is the most cursed name in the entire world. It's why Jesus is put down and, and, and thrown down and anybody that stands up for Jesus, they are persecuted and it's why they cut off the heads of Christians. The reason is because the devil hates Christians and he hates you. And he hates it when you make an altar. And anytime you make an altar for the Lord, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, Tinder. <laughs> None of y'all better be on Tinder. I was testing you, okay? <laughs> Here in the church, you're like, I'm going to church this Sunday. You want to come? I'm going to make an altar for the Lord. You make an altar in your business, your workplace. Jesus, he's king. He changed me. He saved me. He transformed me. You know, what if we spent more time tell, uh, telling people how Jesus lives in me, in us, rather than how they ought to live? So, you know, if, if we shift from telling people how they ought to live and how what they do is right and wrong versus if we shifted to just telling them how Jesus lives in me, telling you that's a light that just shines it's a seed in their heart that that gets in there and can't can't be unstopped i remember people telling me about how jesus lives in them and they're like oh yeah i live like this and i go you're a freak i mean i'm just be honest like my friend danny um he was like i was checking this girl out and i was like oh man she's hot blah 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 I said all this stuff about her he goes i don't do that i love jesus Jesus is in me. I just can't do that anymore. I looked at him. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm like, you're, you've lost your mind. No, he didn't lose his mind. He lost his old man because he found something. And that affected me. I remembered that. I'm going like, he's weird. And it was just, maybe it was like three months later I got saved and he was there in the room. And he witnessed to me again. He told me about what Jesus had done in him. Not how I needed to live. The best witness, guys, is what Jesus has done in you. Not how they need to live. They, they can't live like Jesus without Jesus. You try to live like Jesus without Jesus. You can barely do it with them in you. I mean, we're all like, come on. I mean... Our life is a testimony, it's an altar for generations to look at and remember the goodness of God. Begin to set up testimonies about altars, about the, the testimonies, about what God has done in your life. Uh, uh, we're gonna take communion, so if you could just pull, find your little communion cups, if you don't have them, can we have the ushers, make sure we pass them out, just raise your hand up and I'll keep talking while we get everybody um, what we call uh, wine and bread. It's really a packing peanut and some really old grape juice. <laughs> Jesus, he, he loves us. He knows what's in our heart. Lord, let this packing peanut represent your body. Okay, when we're taking communion, uh, Ben Dreber, he was one of my students in uh, 
a spiritual maturity class we're doing in the foundry. And in the spiritual maturity class, we have all of our students are leading the class in communion as part of one of the things we learned how to do is how to lead communion. And I, it was so cool because he was like, I think that when we take communion, we should think about our testimony. And I'm saying this in my own words, but when we take communion, we should be declaring the things God has done and maybe start sharing them before we take communion. And as we take communion as a family, not just a church family, I'm encouraging you all to start taking communion with your families. And, 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 and do this one thing that I think Ben is really right about is share testimonies. Go around and everybody in a small group share testimonies about the things God has done. Tell your generations what God has done. Build altars and, and then take communion. Because this is the thing, is that when we, when we tell people about the things God's done, it doesn't just affect the moment, it affects generations. My kids will tell stories about the things God did in my life to their children. And your kids should tell them as well. If you don't have kids, you need kids. You can't make kids or you shouldn't be making kids. Again, is, is swipe left, deny? Or swipe right, except I don't know what it is. I don't do tender. Deny. Whichever way is deny. It's probably left, right? Left thing feels like. Don't do it. I'm not making fun of left-handers. I'm not making fun of you. Okay. All right. Everyone needs spiritual kids. And this was one of the, the things about the message. You should go back and listen to it. Make sure you carve out at least 60 minutes. Because <laughs> it was not only the best message, it was the longest message. <laughs> I'm teasing him. It didn't feel long because it was that good. It was, I said, if you're going to preach long, at least make it good. And you did that. It was really good. And Dick, I told him this too. I said, Dick B always said, sermonettes create Christianettes. And I was like, that's right. That was a sermon we needed a year. And it was worth every second. It was so good. But I want, the, the thing, I'm just picking on Zach. Um, I want to say is that the, the, the generations that are affected spiritually, whether we have natural kids or not, they're affected by our testimony about what God has done in our life. Not the crappy things we've done, the good things he's done. Okay? We all have crappy things that we've all done and where we didn't measure up and we all feel bad about it. We wish they never happened, right? But we just, just set up, the, just build the altar of the things God has done and share that and you'll watch God begin to affect generations with his goodness and his favor and his blessing. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Guys, that's our job as Christians. 24-7, all day long. Communion is a new covenant altar. It's an altar place. Communion's a new covenant altar place, okay? But, but, but it happens alive and organic with all of us. And, and I believe the Lord is saying to all of us, like, we need to start taking communion 
or an altar, building an altar to the Lord more often. Amen. I love you, Archibald. That's right. It is the word of the Lord for us to build an altar for his goodness and do it around communion, the thing he said to do, because everything we're doing, say, oh, this is what God did. This is what God did. This is what God did. And it is because of his body that was beaten for me and his flesh that was torn for me that he offered for me. And it's because of his blood that spilled out on my behalf so that I would not have to pay the penalty for my sin, that I could live in his perfect righteousness, made right by the blood of the lamb. That's why this is good. And for us to take communion while we do that, it is so beautiful, guys. There's no way we could do testimony right now. We'd be here till Christmas, right? That'd be fun, sort of. <laughs> that would be great. But when we share the testimony, guys, it's, it is so life transforming. And then the reason we eat it is because the testimony's in you. This is why I'm convinced he said, eat of my, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And he was, he was actually prophesying that in the gospels when he was telling everybody, you're gonna do this to what communion was gonna be about, right? And we were gonna start testifying about him and then remembering it's because of what he's done in us through us, not just around us. It's what the miracle that happened right in this one spot, that miracle that happened in you. This is where Joshua set up the rings in the Jordan, in the middle of the river. Those little, the, those, those stones that were set up, they're set up in your heart. That's where that altar was built. The miracle happened in you. You're the centerpiece of the miracle of the power of God's presence. And when we declare his goodness, when we take communion, it's a beautiful thing. It's happening in us. Does anybody have one that I could have? Ushers, are we good? Oh, nice toss. Still got it. Can, can, can we get Jared one too? Did you already take your packing peanut, Jared? I don't have any bread. Did you already take it out? You already eat it? Where's the bread? Oh, oh, what is, we got new ones? I'm so confused. This is way better than a packing peanut. We got upgrades. I can do this. It still takes a miracle to do it with a microphone. This is almost like a Captain Crunch thing. Okay, Lord, I'm going to be spiritual. You guys all think this stuff when you pull these out. You're like, what? I wish we could pass around big chunks of bread, but you'd probably, half of you'd be all like, gross. Germs. I like germs. All right, Father, thank you that you're so good. We just love you so much. I thank you, God, you saved me. I returned to my first love, God, where you first met me and I fell in love with you for the very first time. I want you to remember that. Come on, close your eyes. Remember the exact moment when you gave your life to him. Oh, Jesus, that was so good. God, that was so good. 
oh, I love your presence. I wish I could feel your presence the same way as it filled my heart for the first time. How beautiful you were. You changed everything about who I was, who I thought I was, who I was going to be, what I was going to do with my life, and it's all been so good. Thank you for the love and the blessing you've brought to my family and to my generations because of your love for me. I declare you, Jesus, as Lord. Lord of my life, Lord of my home, Lord of my family, Lord of the, the land, God. Lord of all governments. Jesus, your name is high and lifted up. Lord, you tread upon serpents under your feet. The devil's been hurled down and stripped of all of his authority and power because of you, because of your sacrifice for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you lived as a man, fully God. You lived as a man, one of your creation, and you offered your perfect sinless life up on the cross for our life. You gave up your life so that we could live. You spilled your blood so we could exist with you, righteous and holy because of what you have done, not what we have done. Loved and made perfect to be in your presence for all eternity. We honor you for this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.